Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi there, I'm Nate Fisher, and this is Timeline Tapes, the podcast made by the YouTube channel Timeline. Our channel has tons of extraordinary documentaries to enjoy, but we know that not everyone has the time to watch a full documentary in one sitting. So we're turning our favorite ones into podcasts that you can enjoy wherever you are. In this week's episode, we hear from British RAF pilots John Peters and John Nichol, who were shot down and captured in Iraqi territory as part of Operation Desert Storm in the Gulf War of 1991. They relive their experience on that fateful day, as well as their subsequent interrogation and torture at the hands of the same Iraqi soldiers they were targeting. The narrator is writer and producer Mark Halley, and the episode was originally produced for Channel 4's Cutting Edge series as an exclusive interview in which both pilots broke their silence on the events that occurred. On January the 17th, 1991, in the opening hours of the Gulf War, RAF tornado pilot John Peters and navigator John Nichol prepared to attack an Iraqi airfield. The plan was to strike in darkness, but operational difficulties delayed their takeoff until dawn. Attacking in broad daylight would give the Iraqi AAA anti-aircraft gunners a much greater chance of shooting them down. It was to be the first and the last low-level daylight bombing mission of the Gulf War. We dropped off the tanker. Uh, and you feel it immensely vulnerable because when you're tanking, you know you're within a safe area or as safe as can be assured. And then the moment you're off the tanker, that's when really your operational flying starts. Because you've got to get down, get onto the deck and uh, break into enemy territory. You all detached from the whole thing. You're up there on your, um, on your pink stallion, you know, charging off to war. And you can't really get a feel of what's going on down below you. So, you know, it's just get on with the job and uh, get in towards that target. I found, I found myself in the front seat uh, as I approached that, being, find myself more aggressive, more pushing low and being annoyed, get low, do this, do this, you know, do... Because when you're, you're you know, I, obviously at the pilot you're far more involved with uh, sort of aggressive side of the aircraft of actually putting your bum along the ground. 
As the tornado raced towards its target, navigator John Nicholl constantly updated the aircraft's attack computer. The approach was perfect, but as they pulled up to drop the bombs, something went wrong. The final part of the attack is to pull a, a large, uh, to pull a climb so that the bombs will loft off the bottom and on the target. Um, we could, everything was going perfectly well. We were calling to each other, everything's fine, three, two, one, pull now. And uh, as we came up, I was still looking around, I was looking out to make sure nothing was coming up at us. And suddenly John's saying, I, I haven't got a package, I haven't got a package. And I thought, what that, you know, what do you mean, what do you mean? And I'm looking down to make sure I've got the correct weapon selected. And then suddenly he, uh, he's yelling, I haven't got a dot, I haven't got a pull-up, which means something to me now. But by this time, you know, I mean, the, the time that it's taken me to say it, you've pushed on an extra couple of miles, you're high, you're slow, and we were wallowing in the air, and we still hadn't got those bombs off. Besides swearing at John all the time, going through every damn expletive in the book, I was also uh, trying to get the aircraft down to, to low level as aggressively as I could without... Uh, I was very aware. I mean, the whole thing, I was just thinking, ground, avoid it, you know, but you've got to get it down because other people are trying to kill you. The attack failed because the bombs weren't automatically released. I thought he hadn't, hadn't uh, pressed a button. Is that true? Um, in my own mind, I think, you know, I think that's the case. There's a sequence of switches that you have to go through to get this attack. You know, it's not just go in there, pull up, and that's it. And we'd practice the attack hundreds and hundreds of times with no problems. And there's only two explanations. You know, either the computer didn't work properly or I didn't press the, uh, the right button at the vinegar stroke. I mean, John in the back is putting chaff and flare out and, uh, with one <clears throat> and he's, you know, he's got to press the other button. I think it, he's never, ever not pressed a button in the entire time we were flying, so I reckon he pushed the button, but he just didn't push it hard enough, you know, in the case of uh, doing everything else. You know, everything was going perfectly well and suddenly we'd failed. You know, and it's indescribable to, to try to tell you how we felt wallowing around, uh, you know, in amongst AAA, uh, trying to decide whether we had time to re-attack. You know, I mean, we thought against every conceivable notion of how you perform an attack. We were, I was thinking, let's re-attack. Let's try and make something of this. I'm not going to lose face. Once we got back down low level, uh, there's still quite a lot of um, flat going on around us. I was going to turn back on the escape heading. And just as I put on back, uh, the aircraft just, I mean, it, it just jumped 30 feet. Uh, and started tumbling like a cigarette, you know, I said, what the hell is that? Uh, and for me in the front, I don't know how, I mean, I just felt the, I mean, we're pretty low at that stage. Uh, the ground, I mean, I was just pushing the stick frantically because the ground was just doing this to me, uh, just coming up and back. And I was, I was just saying, prepare to eject, prepare to eject, that's all I could think. When your aircraft just kind of tumbles across the, the you know, the desert floor, and as I say, I mean, when it's suddenly like that and the floor's coming up at you, you know, and I'm, I couldn't, I was pushing the stick and the aircraft wasn't reacting and that, you know, and that's when that, all your basic instinct of, uh, you know, piloting, you're, you're there going, it's, you very apparently, it's not working, you know, prepare to eject. I caught some orange glow in the mirror and, uh, 
I look back and I can see, well, he's five feet closer to it than I am. I mean, the whole of the back of the aircraft was just... I, I mean, it's a big tail and a big tailplane and fin. I couldn't see any of that. Uh, the wing was on fire, the fuselage was on fire, about here. Uh, and you, you know, decisions in life, it wasn't difficult, was it? So we were, you know, limping on, trying to get further and further away with this thing burning merrily behind us. And, as, you know, I just glanced out the wing, uh, glanced out the side to see if anybody, you know, if there was anything else around. And there's just, uh, you know, a towering inferno coming down the, down the spine of the aircraft towards me. And, you know, you're starting to get into a, a silly I mean, situation. Now. Quick, it, re it really is time to leave the aircraft now. And he said, OK, right, prepare to eject. I'd already yanked the stick back so we were climbing for height because it makes the ejection safer. Uh, and saying, and we both counted down three, two, one, eject, eject. And I remember just before just saying, why us? And I, I thought, why? First down sortie. Uh, a real sense, pulling that handle was your sense of failure. You know, this is it. You're out of that aircraft, you're no longer part of the war. As he ejected from the aircraft, John Peters suffered slight concussion, cut his eye, and badly injured his knee. But both men were relieved to find themselves alive. Basically, we are really in deep shit now. You know, I mean, the chances of us, it was broad daylight, the chances of us actually making it back to some kind of friendly lines or hiding for 20 hours or something till the combat in search a guys. completely flat desert. Yeah, till the combat <laughs> search guys could come and get us. We were fairly limited. So, you know, we just got on the ground and looked around. It was strange. Getting down on the ground, then you're looking around and you suddenly think, my God, you know, he we're standing He came across, we were about 50 yards, 100 <laughs> yards apart, and he came across. And he said, mm, well, uh, this is us then. We're in the <laughs> Iraqi desert. Oh. We put out a few calls on the radio to say that we were down and safe, got our guns ready for what they were going to be worth. Um, and we started running off. After God only knows how long it was, it could have been, you know, 10 minutes or an hour, we thought, we'd, we thought we saw somebody on the horizon or something, and we dropped down and we were looking over the horizon at what we were presuming was a soldier lying on the horizon looking at us. And uh, God, it was probably a tree or something, but, you know, your mind, your, your eyes are playing tricks with you and everything there. And after that, we got up and started moving and, you know, a little way on, crawling as we went and trying, you know, trying to keep as low as possible. And then, and then we finally saw a man. Welcome back to Timeline Tapes. We've just heard about the extraordinary events of January 17th, 1991, when pilots John Nickel and John Peters were shot down after their failed bombing mission. We returned to the action after they successfully ejected from the aircraft, only to be met by a mysterious figure on the horizon. Uh, quite a way away, but it definitely was a man, and that is the time when you think, uh, and for, for me, certainly, you don't know where you can feel your heart pumping, your veins kind of doing, and you're hitting the deck, and you're thinking, what do you, you know, what do we do? And you, you know, you can feel your eyes kind of widening, you know, you've got your gun there, and you're very apparent that suddenly you've gone from 
uh, you know, big package, nice tornado, lots of weapons, lots of power to uh, his Rather little... small and insignificant. <laughs> and then over the, if you like, over one of the sand dunes, this shimmering line of men appeared. Uh, coming towards us with rifles. And again, I don't think they'd spotted us, but they were certainly following a trail or something. And uh, we looked at them and saw them coming, and we couldn't move at this point, you know, I mean, if we'd moved, they would have seen us. And we were cowering behind a two-foot, you know, cactus plant or whatever it was, desperately trying to, to get down as low as we could. And suddenly, the, uh, there was oh, a shout is. went up. And they're just opening up with these AK-47s, and it's the most horrifying thing, worse than being shot down. You know, they're just raking the ground around us with uh, with uh, with bullets. And I, you know, I'm looking at John, thinking, right, you know, we've got to make a serious decision here now. And I was all for um, for well, you he, know. He loading... turned around to me and said, "Shall we go out with a bang?" I, you know, let's stand up and shoot a couple of a couple of them, <laughs> waste them. Bit of daring, yeah, <laughs> but. It was, it was like flying to the ground. I, I just said, no, I mean, there's always hope because why do their job for you? Whatever happens, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a case if it was uh, two or three where you could have a, a chance of winning. I mean, they, they were 12, 15, I don't know, and all with, uh, you know, machine guns and wasting the area around us. And we've got these two little poxy pop guns. Uh, and that's just stupid. You're just going to stand up and get your belly split open. So... Uh, that was the time we decided to... So we decided to uh, give ourselves up, you know, do the decent thing. <laughs> and one of them ran up towards, ran up towards us, grabbed, grabbed us, I think they grabbed the, one of the personal beacons off us or mm. something like that, and then he just started punching me in the face. You know, and there's nothing you can do about this. There's little point in reacting or anything. And he's, he's just standing there hitting me, and thank God, uh, the officer was there with them because I'm convinced that yeah. you know they, they were you know generally jogging us around. Uh, they were hitting John and jo you know and starting already to grab bits. Oh, they I I flicked my contact lenses out, so I had my glasses on, and they ripped those off, took my watch, you know. And they, they were set. You know, I mean, as far as I was concerned, they were going to kill us there and then. You know, I just I thought you know well that's it, that's that's it over now. If it wasn't for him, we would. Yeah. Thank God the officer yeah. got hold of them or whatever he was, and. Uh, and he stopped them, you know, and he pulled them all back and they basically looted everything that we had on us and then dragged us off to the vehicle. Took John's gun out and, uh, in a kind of triumphant, you know, we captured them, put it in the air to shoot and the damn thing jammed. <laughs> I thought, well, luckily we didn't follow Peters the first Peters and idea. Nickel were taken back to the airfield they tried to bomb and paraded in front of hundreds of cheering Iraqi soldiers. They were then taken north to Baghdad handcuffed and blindfolded. There they were handed over to Saddam Hussein's secret police. The longer they held out, the less valuable their information would be to the Iraqis. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We went through this sort of labyrinth and they put me in a room and um, I was separate from John there, I think. I can't really remember. And I was there and I was, by which day they blindfolded us both again because I think John had managed to get his blindfold off. And uh, then, I don't know, just uh, just seeing the world kind of fell in because uh, they're, I don't know how many because I never saw it, but they're just a whole load of guys. Um, they were just punching, kicking, hitting, and I just fell on the floor. And difficult to remember, but, you know, they would drag you up and then beat you back down to the floor again. And nobody was asking anything, nobody was seeing anything. I think they were just taking, you know, some kind of strange revenge for the bombing. So it's just boots and fists at Yeah, you know, well, you can't, you have no, you can't feel, you know, you're just being struck from all sides. It could have been boots, fists, clubs, whatever. And they, they were just beating you to the floor, picking you up and then putting you back down again and you're just writhing around, trying to protect yourself as best you can. We had our handcuffs, we had our hands cuffed behind our back, and, you know, you're just trying to move your body into position to, to try to, to brave the worst of it. But that was unexpected, because at that stage, I uh, only just seen, they just, a whole group of them, and just uh, came around you, and they're just kicking and thumping and, and hitting you about the head and the back. Uh, and you're rolling around, you're trying to avoid being here, but you can't because there are too many of them. And I just remember my, my bloody head rolling around and thinking, shit, what, what? And you're starting to try and um, uh, think. That was what I was trying to do, think. Um, as to um, what I was going to uh, do to... Um, to find them. Eventually it stopped and we were left in a corner somewhere and I uh, could feel somebody else next to me and I kind of whispered, John, is that you? And he said, yeah. I said, are you okay? And he said, oh, he whispered something, couldn't really hear what it was. And uh, they left us for however long it was. After some period of time, they moved me back into the room uh, and I was sitting I found myself sitting again in front of the same three, uh, three Iraqis. And, uh, and the guy in the centre, the older guy, started questioning me. He's, he would, he'd started with the simple, you know, what's your number, what's your rank, what's your name? And then he would say, what did you fly? And you say, I cannot answer that question. And he'll say, again, what's your number? And you'd say that, and then he'll say, OK, uh, what weapons did you carry? What base were you from? What squadron are you from? Are you a pilot or a navigator? And, you're either seeing number, rank, name, date of birth, or you're seeing I cannot answer that question. It's a fairly one-sided conversation. Did he become angry? Uh, no, he, he wasn't really angry. He was more reasoned. He was trying to reason with me to get me to uh, to get me to come up with the goods, to get me to come up with the information. He would uh, say, "Look, you know," he would say, "What aircraft did you fly?" And I'd say, "I cannot answer that question." And then he would um, he'd say, "Why can you not answer that question?" And I'd say, "I cannot answer that question." 
Um, and it would go on like it would go on like this. And he'd say, "But surely you can answer this. This isn't going to t- hurt anybody to tell me what you fly. Tell me if you're a pilot or a navigator. It can't do anybody any harm." And of course, you're always thinking in your mind that you know, should I just say this? Will he leave me alone if I give him this little bit of information? But you know, because of what we know from our our training, you know, that's once you start, once you strike up a conversation with him, then that's the end. He said, a pilot or navigator. And I, before, I, I said, I cannot, you know, I couldn't get, I cannot answer that question. Because I got to, I cannot, and uh, that's the shock, because you can't see suddenly. I mean, I was, my head, and I was on the floor. And you think, it's, you know, they, they're starting. You know, they shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be starting so early. Uh, and then they kind of grab you by the hair and put you back up on, but you drag you up and throw you on the chair again. Name, Peters, rank, flight attendant. Are you pilot or navigator? I cannot, and you're back on the floor again. And then they pick you up, and these just kind of fists at this moment. And then uh, he just kept on asking it. Name, rank. Uh, Pilot or navigator, cannot. And then they kind of just let rip for a while with with fists. They started hitting my eyes. They kind of go for the weak spots, really. Uh, And uh, my lip had already split and everything, but my my eye, they kept on hitting my eye right across, kind of really thin. You can feel the sort of... um, The wheels, when they hit his cheek, you can feel the the kind of wheel kind of come up on you. they kept on hitting my damn eye, and it was already closed anyway. And again, kind of pilot navigating, it's just getting, I cannot answer, and they kept on hitting him in my eye. But it was strange, I mean, I was, I just thought, well, it's okay as long as they keep on hitting that, because it was so sort of swollen by that stage that I just thought, well, my eye's okay, because it just felt like a kind of balloon full of water. I mean, it was just squelchy and just, I thought, well, carry on hitting that, mate, because you're not going to get to the eye, because it's just, you know, it's just not there anymore. They moved us down the corridor, and then you were standing, again, completely disorientated, in the dark, and you didn't know where you were in relation to anything. Yes, you were just standing, and it could've, you could have been in the middle of a field somewhere, or you could have been in a coffin somewhere, uh, not touching anything, and again, you stand and you wait for something to happen. And sure enough, I was standing about six inches from a wall, I found out. Uh, somebody would stand behind me and s- just smash the back of my head so that I headbutted the wall. And you'd st- stagger back and they'd stand you up again and then leave you. And they'd leave you for a minute, they'd leave you for an hour, you know, you can't tell. And then they'd do it again, and then they'd do it again, and then they'd do it again, you know, it's... You don't want to be weak either, you're desperately assessing what I found myself, uh, assessing sort of how I was doing, because you, you've paid off for a while, you get used to that, you, you know, and they start moving it around the body, the body, but you start saying, yeah, it's okay, it's hurting it. Well, they just keep on there, that's great, it's okay, you're doing okay, okay, so you're on, yeah, they're picking you up. And you, I found myself talking to myself, uh, and, and trying to say, no, you haven't got me yet, it's okay. I find myself, I, 
trying to take myself out of it. They again dragged me outside some way and I was standing with my uh, head against a wall and my feet further back from the wall, standing on the arches of my feet, which is a classic what we call stress position. It means uh, your, your muscles are cramped, you're in an incredibly uncomfortable and unnatural position to be standing and you desperately want to move to relieve the, uh, the stress. And of course, every time you move, then there's somebody there standing in the darkness somewhere who will hit, kick, whatever, but you, you back into the stress position. You know, so again, you're, you're, uh, you're in a no-win situation. If you stay where you are, you're in pain. If you move, you're in pain. Did you move? What well, of course, you, you move and uh, because at some point you have to move. It's, you know, that's, that's what the stress position is there for. At some point you have to move. Uh, and so they were there, they'd, uh, you know, punch, kick, uh, beat you down to the floor, pick you up, put you back against the wall in the stress position and wait for you to move again. You, you start to realise that this is not, is not going to stop. You know, it's not, it's not like being in a pub brawl or, or sort of uh, picked up on outside at a pub and just beaten up. I mean, it's, it's controlled. They're, they're using pain and they're using, you know, the wall, yeah, the, the bat and the, the clubs and stuff like that in a precise way. I mean, they're, they're deliberately uh, inflicting pain in a very stylized way upon you. The focus of that concentration. I mean, your mouth goes dry and you can smell the guys that are hitting you. Uh, you can feel your own sweat and you can kind of taste um, your blood. It's kind of gritty in your teeth. Uh, and you're just, you're just trying to hang in there as, as long as you can. You're thinking, well, here, you know, I'm... Helen's not going to have me any longer. You know, I'm not. And my children, I mean, my Tony had just been born, which was lovely, but I think my main focus was was on, on Guy, my, my little boy, because I just thought, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I won't be able to kind of um, be be his father. I didn't I didn't like um, the thought of um, someone else bringing my son up. I couldn't stand very well because my leg was quite bruised. And then he, he just kind of pulled his leg up. Oh, I felt like he, he... as if he was just stamping down on the knee. And my knee just kind of was going concave, really. I mean, it just... as if he sort of karate-chopped uh, right into my knee, uh, stamping down with a heel. And... I was... What I was with, rather than, I mean, all the blows you're going, uh, you know, you're, you're grunting and, and, and things like that. And I just, I let out a kind of a yelp, I suppose. And that, well, first of all, the pain just kind of rocketed right up the side of my body and in my head and everywhere. And I, I was on the floor and I let out this yelp and it, I didn't control the yelp, which is silly, and it's, uh, and that was it. You could, you suddenly, they yanked me up, 
and they did it again and yanked me up and did it again, yanked it up and did it and it just kept... <laughs> yeah. And look, the guy, all I remember, guy going, are you pilot? I'd have a f pilot, pilot. And uh, they just carry on for a time. You think, and um, and then they sort of stop for a while, and then they go back to right name, flight ten Peters or Peters, rank, flight ten number, and then they say, are you pilot or navigator? And that's just you, you. That stage, I thought, well. Perhaps I can get away with it. And I, I just stayed silent for a time. But then they f just start ripping uh, into me again and hitting my knee and, and about my head and really... And I said, pilot, pilot, pilot. And then he said, you will answer name, Peters, rank, fly tent. Are you pilot or navigator? And uh, I said, pilot. Uh, what aircraft do you fly? And I just saw tornado, and that, and that was that was it, really. Thanks for listening to Timeline Tapes. That's it for the first part of Tornado Down. Join us again next week as we hear more about the experiences of both pilots and what happened when they were forced in front of the world's cameras on Iraqi television and the heartfelt messages they sent home. If you want to experience more of the story, you can watch it on our YouTube channel, along with hundreds of other documentaries. If you want to reach out to Timeline Tapes, you can email us at timeline at little.studios.com, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Those are both at TimelineWH. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and write a review, too. I've been Nate Fisher, and this has been Timeline Tapes. Let's go down in history together. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save